Welcome to Impact Church's podcast with Pastor Travis Hearn. Pastor Travis also serves as the team pastor for the NBA's Phoenix Suns and has served Major League Baseball as the team chaplain for over a decade. Today, he leads us with a powerful and hope-filled message. We're so glad you're tuning in, and we believe that wherever you're listening from, that God will impact your life through today's message. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life. Everybody, we're going to jump into the message today. If you have your outlines, you can turn them on, open up your apps, and uh, these scriptures will also be on the screen. But um, I, I want to talk about this concept that has been on my mind for at least two years, and it is probably the uh, most prominent concept in my mind. And I've preached a little bit on it over the last two years, and I want to preach on it again for the next few weeks. And so I'm starting a new series that I have titled Weapons. And I know that as men and women of God, we are in a constant battle. And we're in a constant war. In fact, it's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. And what it is, is it's a war. It's a battle that is our sinful nature versus our spiritual nature. It's a battle that is our sin man, that's me, and the God in me. And the problem is, it's also not only against myself, but it's against Satan and darkness. It's against the darkness of this world. So the battle is against the darkness of this world, against Satan and his legions, uh, and, and they're battling against the light of this world, which is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is within you. And so if you fight a spiritual battle with worldly weapons, you will be destroyed. If you fight this battle with the wrong weapons, you will be defeated. And so I want to start by reading in 2 Corinthians, if you'll look at this with me in 10 verse 4. These are the words of Paul. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Let's read it out loud together. 2 Corinthians 10 4. Here we go. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, why do I have us read scripture every week? The reason I have us read scripture every week is one, it will stick in your mind more if you read it. Uh, But number two, the Bible says that we have the power of life and death in our words. And so that's why I have us read the word of God out loud because Those are words of life, and those are words of healing, and those are words of power. And so let's read this again in 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Here we go. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So in other words, he's saying that the weapons of this world actually have no power for the battle that you're fighting. The weapons of this world are powerless for the battle that I'm fighting. But God's weapons hold divine power. Now this is really interesting to me because the weapons, he says, that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. And the world's weapons will do us no good in a spiritual battle. So I've said this like 15 different ways, but I'm saying the same thing over and again hoping that you really grab a hold of this. It would be like putting on football pads and trying to play a basketball game, right? It would be like putting on hockey gear and going out and trying to play golf. And that's what we do in life is this is the problem, that too many times we fight the right battles but with the wrong weapons. And other times we fight the wrong battles with the wrong weapons. And so this is what I want to dig in today. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, for our struggle, another translation says, 
For we wrestle not against, for we struggle not against, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So think about, for a minute, the United States military. They fight with incredible power. A lot of power. I mean, they have so many weapons in their arsenal. They have bombers and tanks and fighter jets and attack helicopters and ballistic missiles and and on and on. And those are incredibly powerful worldly forces of strength and power. But as men and women of God, one of the most powerful weapons that we can fight with is actually our weaknesses. And that's what I want to talk about today. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word today. We pray that you would speak to us through the power of your word. God, that it would just plant into our souls. God, that it would take root and it would grow. That we would become fruitful as men and women of God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say. Let's say it like we love Jesus. In Jesus' name, we all say. That's better. Let's give our worship team some love today. A little round of applause. I want to give you four takeaways today. You know, I know, I I preach, just so everybody knows, because sometimes people ask questions, I've preached about every possible way you can imagine preaching. I've been preaching for 20-something, 25, 26, 27 years, I think, and I have preached verse by verse uh, through a book. I have preached topical. I have preached... uh, through the idea of title and concepts and life application. I've preached without outlines. I've preached with outlines. I've preached with bullets and one, two, threes, and I've preached without them. But I like giving you just some takeaways. And I know some of you think it's like a puzzle you're trying to solve. You look at the notes and then you're like, oh, let me think if I can figure out what he's going to say to fill in that blank. It's really not that complicated. It's pretty simple. But I want to give you four takeaways again today, four takeaways to turn your weaknesses into some of your greatest weapons. So number one, I want you to write this down. Number one is this, is that admission, admission is the beginning of power. Admission is the beginning of power. Okay, look at what the Bible says in James 5.16. This says, therefore confess. Somebody say the word confess. Confess your sins. Who does it say to confess them to? Each other. How many of you enjoy doing that? Confess your sins to each other. It doesn't say confess your sins to a priest uh, behind a curtain. It doesn't say confess your sins to a pastor at a church. It doesn't say set up a counseling session with one of the ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ at your church. It says confess your sins to each other. And then look what it says. And pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. So I confess because when I confess, then comes healing. If I confess my sins, if I'm going to confess them to you, I got to at first admit them to me. If I'm going to get power over this weakness in my life, over this area in my life, I need to be able to admit my weaknesses acknowledge them, I need to confess them so that I will be healed. So real power, real power, it begins with admission. Turning your weaknesses into a weapon, it starts with admitting it, admitting it. Admit your weaknesses, admit them to yourself, admit them to God, and admit them to somebody that needs to listen and needs to hear about them. Admission is the beginning of power. Listen, you cannot conquer what you do not confront. You'll never conquer what you don't confront. And many people, even after this message, they're going to choose to remain weak and weary. They're going to choose to remain feeble and fatigued. They're going to choose to remain bound because they will never admit their weaknesses. 
And the key to power is to admit them. Listen, if you never look yourself in the mirror and say, I have a problem. If you never look at yourself for who you really are and you never admit your weaknesses, you will never possess power over them. Now listen, everybody, in fact, say the word everybody, everybody has weaknesses. We all do. Look at somebody and tell them you're weak. Go ahead, you're weak, man. Look at somebody else, look at somebody else and tell them you're weak, you're weak. We all, a nephew of mine, Phil Jr., the mic sounds so good, thank you, but can you give me just a tiny bit more, not much, just a little bit more volume because my, th my, my voice is already tired and I've, I've got like two more hours for this service to preach right here, so I gotta rock, rock this thing. Everybody has weaknesses. This is what I can't figure out about humanity. We are all weak. We are strong in Christ, but in and of ourselves, we are weak. We have physical weaknesses. We have emotional weaknesses. We have relational weaknesses. We have intellectual or mental weaknesses. Some of us, we're not very good at communicating. Others are great at communicating. Some of you aren't good in the area of like math and algebra and you know, all that crazy demonic stuff that we don't need in life. And then some of you are really good at it. But one thing I've noticed about the nature of people is that we try to hide our weaknesses. We try to hide them, right? We don't want, listen, this is crazy to me. We'll do and go to almost any length to hide our weaknesses, to cover them up. We hide our weaknesses, our insecurities. We hide our fears. I, listen, I don't want you to know I'm insecure. I don't want you to know that I'm afraid all the time, that I'm worried all the time, that I struggle with anxiety. I don't want you to know I'm depressed. I'm good. Right? I don't want you to know that I'm dealing with addiction or my past hurts or my past guilt or shame or failures. We don't like to admit them, but listen, all it does is backfire on you and it makes you look weaker than you actually are because even if you hide them, we can still see them. And the more you try to hide them, the more silly you look. And so it does the complete opposite of what we think it's going to do. We don't like to admit them. Instead, we deny them, we defend them, we excuse them, we make excuses about them, we accuse others about them. Many times, we become resentful of our own weaknesses. I resent the very thing in me that's weak. And when that happens, we become bitter over our weaknesses. Let, let me give you an example. Some people, they find themselves saying, well, life isn't fair. Why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? Well, so-and-so doesn't deal with this, and such-and-such such doesn't have this health problem, and such-and-such such doesn't have this attention problem or this mental problem. So-and-so doesn't deal with this. Why did I get these parents? Why did I get this bloodline? Why me? Why me? Why me? And what happens, what happens is is that we resent the very thing that God wants to use. We become resentful and bitter of one of the most powerful weapons that God wants to use. Because let me give you some facts. God doesn't resent your weaknesses. He wants to use your weaknesses. And your greatest weakness can become your greatest weapon. Your greatest weakness can become your greatest strength. Now, if you've read the Bible, which I know, you know, with this many people, this is just all over the place. Some of you have never read the Bible. This is your first time in church. Some of you have read the Bible because you're on social media and you see a scripture every now and then on social media. Some of you have read the Bible cover to cover. Some of you, one of your New Year's solutions was, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover this year. Maybe you've read the New Testament. Maybe you've read the Old Testament. Maybe you haven't read much, but you want to read a lot and you want to learn a lot. Let me tell you something that is a pattern all through scripture. Genesis to Revelation, here's the pattern, is that God uses weaknesses. In fact, as you dig into the scriptures, it almost feels like God prefers them. 
It almost seems like God prefers weaknesses. Let, let me give you an example. The second book of the Bible is Exodus. The whole book, 40 chapters, is about the life of Moses. Moses had many, many weaknesses. One of his weaknesses was anger. He had an anger problem. He was always popping off, always losing his cool, always getting triggered. Moses was always getting hot. One day, he saw an Egyptian. He went and killed that Egyptian, and then he buried him in the sand or tried to hide it. Another day, he lost his cool, and he struck the rock. Another day, he lost his cool, and he threw down the Ten Commandments. You know, they had to rewrite the Ten Commandments. But his anger wasn't his only problem, but it was one of his problems. But he also had a speech problem. And I want to take you inside of this for a minute in Exodus chapter 3, if you'll look at this with me. Because in Exodus chapter 3, y'all remember the story of the burning bush? The burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. I don't know why. I have no theological insight as to why. I know this, if you don't start speaking for God, he'll find something. I know that in the Bible, he spoke through a jackass. He did. He spoke through a jackass. Look at somebody and tell them, don't be a jackass. Come on, tell them right now. Don't be a jackass. But God spoke through a donkey. God spoke through a burning bush. And it's interesting because this bush is on fire, but it never burnt up. Moses checks it out, and he's like, what's going on with this? And then the bush starts talking. You ever had a bush talk to you? And Bush starts talking, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Well, I guess, I guess I must be. This Bush is talking to me. I'm taking whatever he tells me to do. I'm doing it, right? And so let me take you to Exodus chapter 3 because this is the calling of Moses. This is how God chose to call Moses in Exodus 3. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. It says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, so now go, Moses, now go. I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. It's funny because Moses' response is, very human. I don't even know Pharaoh. Like if you're like, PT, we need you to go speak to Sleepy Joe Biden and we need you to, to I, I'm not, I'm not, no, 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 no. Listen, I'm not, I'm not here to pick sides. If, if, if Donald was a president, I would have made a Donald joke as well. So I'm just, we've always, you know what? Until the last like five years, we've always cracked jokes about our presidents. Like, let's just keep doing it. I like it. But it'd be like, I don't know Joe Biden. I don't have any inside track to the White House. Who am I? Who am I to go speak to the president of the United States? Who am I, Lord, to go speak to Pharaoh? I'm a nobody. I'm nobody. He's not going to listen to me. God, I'm not even equipped for this. I'm not educated for this. I don't have enough clout or enough reputation for this. And Lord, I don't know if you know, I, I've got some issues. I just killed a brother. Right? And as you look at what Moses is doing, he's, he's pointing out all of his weaknesses. He's, he's going, God, this is why I can't do it. Now, the thing about Moses is he was trying to use them as excuses. God, I can't because of this. And God, I can't because of that. And God, you got the wrong guy because of this, this, and this. And the conversation continues into Exodus chapter 4. And the conversation not only continues, but so do the excuses. Right? And so then he starts calling God. He's like, God, I get the wrong guy. I'm not the right guy. And he's like, who am I? And God says, I'll be with you. And then he goes, God, I don't even speak well. Like, I have a speech problem. God, you, 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 you know, you, God, you, God, I, how, 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 God, you, God, how, I, I don't, God, you got the, you, hey, she said, you got the wrong brother. I'm not the right guy. And then 
I love the response of God because he goes, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? I did. And he said, and I'm going to help you with what you need to say. I'm going to give you everything you need to say, and I'm also going to give you everything you need to say it. I'm going to use your brother Aaron to be your director of communications because he's a great communicator. And it doesn't stop there. God goes on to say, Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? By the way, anytime God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. What's in your hand? And Moses says, Lord, it's a staff. It's a staff in my hand. And God says, Moses, throw it down. And Moses throws it down, and it becomes a poisonous snake. And the Bible says that Moses ran. And then God's like, Moses, get back over there and pick it up by the tail. And he picks it up by the tail, and it becomes a staff again. Moses, put your hand in your cloak. And it became leprous. Moses, take it out, and it was healed and restored and whole. What is God doing? What is he doing right here? What is the point of all this? Why is God taking Moses through this little experience? What is the point? The point is this, is that everything impacts her family. Everything, every single thing that you need for God to use you mightily is already in your hands. It's already in your possession. When God gives you a calling, God gives you the capability. Moses, I know you've got some questions, buddy. I know you've got some anger. I know you've got some insecurity. But I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not going to help you do. And so it starts with your weaknesses. You're going to become one of the greatest leaders in the history of all of humanity, even though. Even though you have a speech problem, there's going to be a whole book written about you. There's going to be a chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 about men and women of faith that you're going to be written in. Even though you have your weaknesses. See, this is what I'm trying to tell you guys is that God wants to use you. Even though you're insecure, God wants to use your hurt and your pain. God wants to use that divorce that you went through. God wants to use that painful childhood experience that you went through. God wants to use your fears and your failures. God wants to use your physical and your emotional setbacks. He wants to use you. But it starts with getting real. It starts with looking at myself in the face and I say, man, that's not good. I need God's help. I need him to change me in this situation. Be honest about them. Admit them. Acknowledge them. Stop hiding them. Stop covering them up. Look at somebody right now and tell them it's time to take the mask off and be free. Come on, let somebody know. It's time to take the mask off and be free. I want to give you the second takeaway today. I could have preached the first one the whole time. I want to give you the second takeaway today. Number two is this, is that my weaknesses, if you want to turn them into strengths, you got to understand that they create a stronger dependency on God. Have you ever thought about where you would be with God without some of the hell you've been through? Would you even be here? I don't know that I would even be here. And so if I'm going to turn my weaknesses into a weapon, I have to understand that my weakness becomes a weapon because my weakness creates a stronger dependency on God. I can already tell you right now, I have to take this jacket off. Give me a minute. Really appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's a little sweaty, but I swear, I'm going to hire a full-time employee just to monitor my AC on Sunday mornings. That's it. Because it's like the one thing every week that I struggle with. And I got all these complainers like the Israelites throughout the church that it's freezing. <laughs> and so the, my team is like, do I do what PT wants me and get 
might keep my job or do I help the church and get fired? <laughs> it's a fine line. It's a fine line. See, I, I didn't used to use these. I, now I got these little Pentecostal preacher sweat rags. Man, God is good. Your, your weaknesses, they, 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 they force you. They force you to depend on God. It's not like, well, now I think maybe I better depend on, no, 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 no. Your weaknesses literally force you to depend on Jesus Christ. See, that's what God wants. That's what God wants. And so he wants you to trust him. He wants you to depend on him. And when the storms of life come with those heavy winds blowing, it makes you dig your roots deeper into Christ. Okay, this is important. God knows that. God knows that if you go through some hell on earth, it's gonna bring you closer to heaven. He knows that. And maybe you've heard me say this before because I've been saying it for about 10 years, is that you're never as close to Christ than when you're in the middle of a crisis. Your prayer life goes up, right? You didn't pray for like a week, and now all of a sudden hell's breaking loose. You're like, oh God, I need you. I know I've been gone for like seven straight days. Sorry about that, but right now, I need, I need you. And your prayer life is never as strong. I wish it was. It's never as strong as when you're going through hell. For some reason, a little taste of hell makes us really thirsty for heaven. And the Bible talks. I, I love the Bible. I don't know if you guys, if you guys would, you know, does anybody else like love the Bible? I love the Bible. The Bible I can read the same verse every day and it speaks to me differently. It's like a secret spiritual code, right? It's like, take Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, you can highlight a different word in that verse and it will mean something different every time you read it. I can do all things through Christ. I can't do it, but I can do it through Christ. I can. I'm dealing with some discouragement. I'm dealing with some insecurities. I'm dealing with my own stupidity. I can. I can do this. I can. I can do. Because I ain't been doing much lately. So I need that word do to stand out right now. I can do. I can do all. There is not a thing in this world that if you put your mind to with the partnership and the power of God that you cannot accomplish in this world. I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ because it's not about me. I can do all things through Christ who who strengthens me, which is what I'm talking about today. Strength. But the Bible, it, it talks a lot about Root systems. I like root systems. I've studied, to some degree, root systems. Different trees, different plants. Arizona really doesn't have roots. The dirt's too dry, it's too hard. But I I like the study of root systems. And this is what's interesting about the lengthy, extensive, comprehensive coverage of roots in the Bible is that The reason it talks about roots so much in the Bible is because Jesus tells us that he wants us to bear good fruits. And when you have healthy roots, you will have healthy fruits. And so the health of your roots, it determines, listen, this this would set you free if you really get a hold of this. The health of your roots determines the health of your fruits, but your roots to determine the health of the roots, you got to look at first and foremost, where are the roots planted? What soil, it, it, what soil 
is your life planted in? Who are the people that are closest to you in your life? What are they like? Are they like Christ or are they like the devil? What do your roots look like? Healthy roots, healthy fruits. In fact, Colossians, it says this in chapter 2, verse 7. He says, have your roots planted deep in Christ. Grow in him. Get strength from him. So God wants us rooted in him, planted in him. Now, now think about it for just a minute. God wants you to develop, to cultivate. Don't, the problem is we always look at the fruits, but everybody ignores the roots. It, it, they're hidden. They're under the earth. They're under the soil. Right? So it's like, man... That tree didn't make it. I've got all kinds of trees I've planted in my backyard, my front yard, that I had to replant. That tree didn't make it. That plant didn't make it. And oftentimes we blame it on the tree or the plant. But it's all about the health of the roots. It's all about the nutrients that the roots are or are not getting. So he says, have your roots planted deep in Christ and grow in him. Get your strength from him. When you're rooted in Christ, listen, Impact Church, when you're rooted in Christ, in a growing, continual, nonstop relationship with him, and you're continually, daily, in God's word, you will have strength because you will have a strong root system. You will have strength. It, the, the Bible... I, the Bible says this one thing. It talks about it talks about tumbleweeds. Don't be a tumbleweed Christian. It's a lot of those. Some of you are sitting in here today. I don't know who you are. Let me just look at the camera so it looks like I'm looking at whoever you are for a minute. You're a tumbleweed Christian. What that means is you might go to church, but church isn't the root system. Christ is. The Bible is. The power of the Holy Spirit is. Church is just a tool to help get us to where we're supposed to be going. It is a resource for all of us to come together. Church, yeah, it builds up the saints. It edifies each and every one of us. But the root system, listen, if you water a tree once a week for a few minutes, it's not going to make it. It's not going to make it. So healthy roots create healthy fruits. In, in Arizona, we know about tumbleweeds. We know about tumbleweeds. Because tumbleweeds, I don't even know how they end up on the 101, but I've seen them on the 101 before. Tumbling across the 101. Like, what? I must have fell out of some redneck's truck or something. Like, where'd that thing come from? Tumbleweed. And it looks like a bush that's rolling. Because it is. It's a weed that is tumbling. Therefore, we have creatively titled it Tumbleweed. You imagine the people before us one day, they're like, what do we call that thing? Tumbleweed. Like, that's good. Let's go with it. Tumblebush? Nah. Tumbleweed. And I guess the thing about tumbleweeds is that they tumble because they're not deeply rooted. And Christians tumble when the storms come because they're not deeply rooted. And the deep, listen, the deeper, the deeper your roots, the deeper your roots, the stronger your life will be. The deeper your roots, the stronger the storm you can weather. God wants you to use your storms, your weaknesses, to force dependency, your dependency, upon him and not upon yourself. Let me read Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. The Bible says, cursed is the strong one, listen, this is crazy, who depends on mere humans, who thinks he can make it on muscle alone, and sets God aside as dead weight. 
He is like a tumbleweed on the prairie, out of touch with the good earth. He lives rootless and aimless in a land where nothing grows. Verse seven and eight, but blessed is the man who trusts me, who trusts in God, the woman who sticks with God. They're like trees replanted in Eden, putting down roots near the rivers, never a worry through the hottest of summers, never dropping a leaf serene and calm through the droughts, bearing fresh fruit in every season. Roots. Talks about roots in Ephesians 3 as well. In verse 17 and 18, it says, May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And I love this part. I preached a four-part series on this one time. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high God's love really is. Aren't you thankful for God's love today? I sure am. See, God wants you to put your hope in him. God wants you to put your faith in him, to depend on him. And our weaknesses become weapons when we learn to put our dependency, our weaknesses, in his hands. You guys have heard me preached on Paul and his thorn a lot. And I want to reread in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. It says this, the words of Paul, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with Laprilia, whatever that word is, I pleaded with the Lord. One more sip of coffee, and I would have got that word in. <laughs> Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He said, therefore, I will boast. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just boast about our weaknesses? Like, put them on Instagram, somebody. Stop putting makeup on. Stop getting the lighting perfect. Smoke and mirrors. Look at how amazing I look. And let's just get real. I dare you. Wake up with bedhead and go for it. He's like, man, I'm going to just boast. I'm going to trumpet about my weaknesses. There's a reason I'm going to do this. It's not to have a pity party. It's not to get you to say, oh, no, you're good. You're good. You're great. I'm not fishing for compliments. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses because I want to see God's power in my life. And I know that the more real and the more honest I am about my own weaknesses, the more real and the more powerful God can be with his power. That's what I want. I want his power. And I see a Dallas Cowboys shirt back there, Dak Prescott. And I also want the Cowboys to win. I do. It's the Lord's team. It's still the Lord's team. Until the, until the Cardinals win a Super Bowl, it's the Lord's team. And people think, they're like, PT, you're a Cowboys fan? Am I a man of God or not? Of course I am. Like, like. And, and, but here's the truth. Like, it, are there any Arizona natives born and raised? You were born here, raised here. Okay, hands up. So a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times Arizona natives, at least back when I was a kid, listen, listen, respectfully, Arizona did not, they're like the last for everything. You know, we were the last to say, okay, yes, let's acknowledge Martin Luther King Day as a holiday. You know we were the last, right? That's not something to be proud of. We were the last. 
Public Enemy wrote a whole song about it. By the time I get to Arizona, the whole thing, you got to check it out. It's dope. And so, so, I can rap that whole song right here, right now. But, and so, when I was a little boy, you know, we also didn't have a football team. We didn't have a baseball team. We had the Phoenix Suns. That's what I'm talking about. But we didn't have a football team. We didn't have a baseball team. You know what we had? We had a TV station called WGN, Chicago. So every native from Arizona, we're like Cubs fans. Because all we want, we, we couldn't even find it. If you want to watch baseball, Cubs are on. Okay, I'll become a Cubs fan. If you wanted to watch football, you know what was on all the time? The Cowboys. The Lord's team. So I was like four. I became a Cowboys fan. Herschel Walker, Tony Dorsett. Way back. I'm not, everybody's like, oh, yeah, me too. I'm an OG. Emmett Smith. Emmett ain't OG. And so I think I might need medication because I'm preaching the word and I see a Cowboys jersey and went on a seven-minute rant. And Dak's a Christian. He's a man of God. I think. Why? We think. We think. I mean, no, he is for sure. Spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Holy Ghost walking. Dak be speaking in tongues at the scrimmage line. Paul says... Paul says... Take this thorn out of my life. L listen, you know that God could have immediately removed that thorn. He could have. He just went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And we see all the miracles of God. Jesus himself, himself, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but then the early church and his disciples doing miracles all through the book of Acts. That's what he's known for. That's what he does. Miracle. He could have done the miracle right there. Listen, God could also remove your thorn in an instant. He could, but he could also choose not to. And in Paul's case, he chose not to. But this is what really trips me out about this scripture, is that the Bible says the thorn wasn't even from God. It was from Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the enemy of God. I was given to me a messenger from Satan to torment me. I asked God to take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So you mean to tell me that Satan gave me this thorn, Satan gave me this weakness, Satan gave me these fears, Satan gave me this guilt, this doubt, this shame, Satan gave me this disease, Satan gave me this mindset, and I'm asking you, God, to take it away, and you're saying that you're not going to take it away, because listen, sometimes God doesn't take the situation away from you. And sometimes God doesn't take you away from the situation. Sometimes God doesn't change your situation because God is desperately trying to change you. And he wants you to depend on him. He wants you to depend on him. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. It's all you need. It's all you need, and I'm not taking you out of the battle. I'm not taking you out of the battle. In fact, I'm not taking your enemies away from you. Instead, I'm going to go with you, and I'm gonna give you victory over the battle and over your enemies. Man, there's a lot here, 10.08. That was God ordained about the Cowboys. <laughs> Number three, the third takeaway. This is for the woman who just shouted at me. <laughs> is that my weaknesses keep me humble. 
My weaknesses keep me humble. I don't know about you, but they sure keep me humble. And one thing I've learned in my own life is either be humble or you'll be humbled. <laughs> Which way you want it? Which way you want it, baby? Be humble or you'll be humbled. And let's go back to this thorn in the flesh. Because he says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. I was given a thorn in the flesh. This thorn in the flesh, it, it, it's not from God. It's from the devil. But God decided to leave it there and use it. Because this is what God's notorious for. The notorious G-O-D <laughs> is notorious for flipping the script and turning and taking what, what Daniel just sang about at the end of the one song, that you take what the enemy meant for evil and you flip the script and you turn it for good. Do you know, listen, I want you to, for those of you that are still like, I'm not sure about God, I don't know if he's real, you, you can chalk this one up to a coincidence if you want, but did you know? that Daniel sang that at the end of a different song. That was not planned or programmed. Daniel has not heard my message yet, but this is already built into my message. And I can't tell you how many times that happens every week where you guys think, man, they are really programmed together and we had nothing to do with it. This is what God does is he flips his script. Look, look at with me. Genesis 50 verse 20. The Bible says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. See, I'm bringing this up because somebody in here, you're going through some stuff that feels evil. Some of you, you're going through some stuff that feels like an attack from the devil. And I'm here to tell you that if you surrender it to God, he's going to take it and he's going to use it for good. That God is going to flip the script in your life and our weakness, our weakness, it is there to keep us humble. Paul's thorn to keep him from becoming conceited. Paul's thorn to keep them dependent on God's grace. Because it is by the thorn that dependency is born. That thorn makes us dependent on God. And make no mistake, the thorns always have a reason. Right? Our pain, our problem, we've talked about this, always has a purpose. James chapter 1. These aren't on the screens, but they're in the Bible. I'm just going to read a couple of these to you. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I always say there's never a pain in vain. Another verse in first. Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says nearly the same thing. He says, so be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire is tested and purified like gold through your faith, even though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God wants us to stay humble. That's why it says in James 4.10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's bring this home so the next service has enough parking. <laughs> you know what we're going to do? We had a couple people in our church who have kingdom minds. I love kingdom-minded people. And I love when they really get it that their life and even business, money, resources isn't really about them. And 
we have, uh, we have parking issues and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock two services as long as I can. So we're building, we're actually, our architect is, is right now working on a balcony that we're going to put like 500 seats in a balcony back there. And so uh, clap now because we're going to be raising money for it here in a few weeks. But, <laughs> so get your clap out right now. But, uh, but and, and, and the more we raise, the cooler it can be because I'm picturing like some escalators coming down into the lobby or something kind of dope like that. But, and people walk in and be like, whoa, is this Macy's? What is this? Because it's got the red star. And, <laughs> and so, um, but in the meantime, we had uh, two different families purchase two each family purchased one, so two total, but these like almost 40 passenger, beautiful black Mercedes sprinters to help with shuttling. And the price tag was no joke. I mean, just look up like a 15 passenger sprinter and think about how much these ones cost, but somebody donated those and I just think that's really awesome. And But number four, the fourth takeaway is this, and, and, and I've already said a little bit of it, is that my, my weaknesses reveal God's power. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power, Christ's power, say that out loud, Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So, throughout the Bible, God continually showed off his power through the weaknesses of people. You remember the story of Gideon? Gideon. God calls Gideon. He sends an angel. Gideon's out working in the wine press. I think I spoke about this last week or the week before. He's just doing his thing, doing his job. Angel shows up and goes, what's up, mighty man of valor? In other words, what's up, mighty warrior? <laughs> Gideon's like, you got the wrong dude. The warriors are that way. I'm the warrior. Not the right guy. What's up, mighty warrior? That's not me. I'm the, wor I'm the mighty warrior. And he says, nope, I got the right guy, Gideon. God wants you to lead the Israelites into a battle, a big one. You're going to be way outnumbered, 450 to 1. That's what it was. You're going to be outnumbered. Soldiers, 450. The odds are, may the odds forever be against you. And so he said, God told me, he sent me to tell you, you're it, buddy. You're the leader. Gideon's like, I'm not the leader. I've never led anything. I'm not a leader. I'm not a soldier. I'm not in the military. I'm not the right guy. You're the right guy, buddy. You're the right guy. I'm telling you, God gave me the address, and this is it. You're the man. Gideon, you are a mighty one. Gideon's like, man, I, listen, do you know my clan, my tribe? Do you know the people I come from? My family is the least of all the families. And by the way, Mr. Angel, I'm the least of my family. Like, pick a brother or something. No, Gideon, you're the one. And if you know the story, Gideon leads them to victory. God uses a teenage boy named David, who's not a soldier. He was a shepherd. He took care of his daddy's sheep. That's all. And his brothers were in a battle. Israelites against the Philistines. And David's dad says, take your brother some food. And by the way, just kind of check on him. David goes up, sees the whole Israelite army and his brothers are terrified of this champion fighter, Goliath, undefeated nonetheless. And David, teenage boy, you know the story, takes him down because God likes to use the weaknesses of people. Do you know that God used a prostitute in the Bible named Rahab? How would you like, like, my name is Travis Hearn. How would you like to be known as Rahab the prostitute? Like, like it's her last name or something. And Rahab the prostitute. 
And it's interesting because some of you don't know the Bible and you're like, oh, this is good. What happened? Like, <laughs> and so the Israelites needed to, God promised them the promised land. And in order to get to the promised land, we got to first defeat the first city, which is Jericho. Well, the Bible says that Jericho was, in the King James, it says, tightly shut up. In other words, it had a wall around it. They needed some, uh, some, some, some eyes, some reconnaissance, some favor. And so Rahab's like, hey, let's make a deal. She was used to making deals. So she's like, let's make a deal. She's like, she's like, I'll help you if you help me. And they're probably like, yeah, I bet, I bet, you know. She's like, no, no. What I'm thinking is, I'll allow you to use my house, which was built into the wall, to go in and out and to have eyes and do some recon if you just will spare my life. Rahab, the prostitute, is mentioned in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith. She's named, listen, she's named right there with other champions of the faith like Noah and Abraham and Enoch and Abel and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all the other people that were mentioned in the chapter of faith because God loves to turn weaknesses into power he likes to turn weaknesses into weapons he likes to make something out of nothing he he likes to turn nobodies into somebodies He is the God of the impossible. And as Jeremiah said, nothing is too difficult for him. It's interesting because I want to close with this verse. Because I think this verse really sums it up well. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says that God purposely, listen to this, God purposely chose what the world considers nonsense in order to put wise men to shame and what the world considers weak in order to put powerful men to shame and he did it all throughout scripture and he's done it all throughout humanity and he wants to do it all throughout our impact church family he wants to use your weaknesses as a weapon to see you through would you bow your heads with me See, when God uses my weaknesses, I don't get the credit. He does. When God uses my weaknesses, I can't take the credit. Only He can. Because when I'm weak, He is strong. And when I'm at my weakest point, He can show off His strongest power. Father, we're grateful for your word today. We're grateful for the power of God, the presence of God. Lord, we pray that you would be with each and every one of us today. God, that your power, that your power would be demonstrated in our lives. And Lord, we surrender our weaknesses to you. God, we know we're weak. We know where we're weak. And so God, we ask you to be our strength the strength in our weaknesses. If you're here today and you've never stepped out in faith to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it says that you are saved. Jesus said in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And listen, it's that simple. It's just as simple to say, you know what? I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe, and I step out in faith today. If that's you today, would you do that? Would you do that right now? And just pray and say, Jesus, today I surrender all to you. I surrender my life to you. God, I pray that I would be a vessel for you to use.
God, would you use us? Use our weaknesses. Use our imperfections. Use our insecurities. Use our guilt and our shame and our doubts. Use our failures. God, do the impossible as you've always done. Father, we're grateful today for everything you're doing in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Let's give Jesus a round of applause today. Impact Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you said that prayer and accepted Jesus into your heart, it's the best decision you could ever make. We want to connect and celebrate with you. Visit impactchurch.com for more information about our church and how you can get plugged in here with us. Be sure to subscribe and share today's message with your friends. Thanks for tuning in and we can't wait to hear how God has made an impact in your life.